Also, I've realized that theoretically, I could make the uh, a sound such that the waveform looked like loss. Ha 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 ha. Boom! Blockchain Squad. Hey, Zach. Hey, Sirtis. <laughs> Boom. Blockchain Squad. <laughs> uh, so Walmart is on the blockchain now. Walmart is blockchain, blockchain, and Walmart. Um, Walmart is using IBM's food trust technology to track food safety. And so the, the idea of this, if I remember correctly, is that they are trying to figure out where the food came from so like if you get uh some arugula was arugula the one that had the problem kind of recently uh romaine lettuce sounds familiar it was some sort of leafy green if you get a leafy green and it's a bad leafy green um because it's got e coli or whatever or salmonella probably salmonella who knows uh if there's some sort of some sort of nasty thing on your leafy green um Chances are that the the nasty only came from one or two particular farms, and not every farm that makes leafy greens is bad. But it's real hard to know, if you just have a box of leafy greens, where those leafy greens came from. Um, So the whole idea of this blockchain thing is that you should be able to trace back where the food came from very quickly. Uh, A quote from the thing that I looked at said that it typically took seven days pre-blockchain to trace the source of food, um, whereas with the blockchain, it's about 2.2 seconds. Uh, This seems like something that could be done without blockchain. Right, so that's a question that I I ask a lot when I see a blockchain thing, is could this just be a server? Does this need to be blockchain? Because blockchain is, as everyone knows, like the cloud, um, but with a lot more servers. I mean, yeah, sort of. The cloud is someone else's computer, and blockchain is everyone else's computer. Also doing an immense amount of computation, which is the reason that we don't like it very much. Um, And so I think the answer here is yes, that it could be just a static server. But the amount of work that it would take to get those servers to communicate to each other is the same amount of work, if, if, if not more, than what it would take to just get everybody to write a new system on the blockchain. And if IBM uh, can, can dictate that everyone hop on the IBM blockchain, then they have more control over things. Can you give us a quick overview of how it works? No, uh, because I researched it months ago. Give me like 10 seconds to look up the video and refresh myself. Okay. I hate when technology companies use the word ecosystem, especially when it's something that could ostensibly actually be an ecosystem, <laughs> such as growing food. Um, well, there's some supply chain efficiencies that eliminate bottlenecks to speed up your supply chain, and there's food safety. Oh, never mind. If you want the white paper, you've got to give them your email. Okay, wait. Here's how blockchain powers food trust. I'm sorry you have to go on this journey with me. So many of these sentences are just meaningless. (laughs) And it's not even, like, one whole video. It's partitioned into Mm -hmm. four separate distinct videos. Okay, this looks like the good news is this is not a cryptocurrency. Correct. It looks like 
when you make as a like a farm say when you make a transaction to a distributor of some sort you can mark that exchange of money to product and probably some identifying information about that shipment mm-hmm. you can record that on a blockchain right and once the blockchain obviously once the blockchain is set you can't change it unless you have a majority which is possible but no one talks about that slow adoption i don't it really seems like IBM is just hoping that more people will jump onto this thing because it's blockchain and because Walmart is standing behind it. I, I still, like, I know they're not going to tell us because this is supposed to be for, like, middle management people, this website, I think. Mm-hmm. But where's the benefit between a blockchain for this and IBM hosting a server or putting it on S3 or whatever? Right. Okay, well, here's the different modules of the blockchain that are part of IBM Food Trust. There's the trace, the certify, and the data entry module. Okay, and so those are the different ways you can interface with the blockchain, it looks like. You can... God. I want a law from the... Oh, wait, no. FAQ. Why blockchain? A blockchain solution is not just about technology, it's about solving business problems that have been insolvable before due to the inability of the ecosystem to share information in a transparent, immutable, and trusted manner. Unlike other systems of record, blockchain technology provides a trusted record of data. Somebody still has to put the information in there, though. Right? Correct. So, like, it's only as good as it was before. It's just that no one can change it now. Also, there is some aspect of the food trust network called a trust anchor, which receives a full copy of the encrypted ledger so they can verify events and verify data. Somebody has to do that, though. Oh, they're using smart contracts. I still don't know what that means. Mm, You know, it's blockchain-ish. It's like contracts, but they're smarter. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this. Okay, so the idea of smart contracts, that's uh, the most popular blockchain based on smart contracts is Ethereum. Right. And the idea is that to uh, a transaction occurs when if I want to send Zach money, this is my very limited understanding of smart contracts. If I want to send mm-hmm. Zach money, let's say an Ethereum buck or whatever, right? I send him a smart contract that that says if this is valid which you have to, which your computer has to do then you get the you get this munch currency so instead of just putting transactions onto a ledger and having the system like work through it right miners it's your computer doing all of the hard work So if I want a dollar for you, I have to do the computation to get the dollar from you. Yes. There's also computation that needs to happen by miners, though. Just significantly less, I think. And these contracts can be anything from solving a puzzle, uh, factoring a number, or apparently um, automating uh, the the monitoring of expiration dates, storage conditions, and batch numbers. And factory data, that reduces waste. If you can, basically, you have a task 
and you make a cryptographic puzzle out of it. Okay. And you then gamify it, but for computers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's a very limited understanding of what smart contracts do. Huh. All right. I buy it. I don't. I don't have any Ethereum. Please do not try to give me any Ethereum. I will refuse on principle. Um, I, I guess the one benefit of this is that there's no server to go down. Right. I suppose. But whatever software, whatever modules interface with this blockchain will need updating and upgrading. Yeah, somebody's maintaining this regardless. It's kind of cool. Hey, at least it's not Facebook, right? Right, yeah, you know? And I don't... It doesn't seem like it's as malicious as a cryptocurrency. (laughs) Right, yeah, there's no one, like, super benefiting from this more than everyone else. It's not explicitly a pump and dump or a pyramid scheme. Um... So I guess I'll give a, a hesitant buy on the, the smart contract. Food trust. Food trust. Food trust. Dear, dear Jared, uh, this is the episode where we go through the backlog of all of the things that we were really passionate about um, months ago and wrote down because we were really passionate about them, passionate about them and thought that maybe it would be an interesting thing to think about. On that note, um, do you have any two-year goals, Sirtis? <laughs> um, or like five-year goals? or Like putting it in years makes it, they're big goals, right? Things that can't be accomplished in a month. Right. But also aren't like, I want to retire and have a house in Barbados or whatever. Right, right. Do, uh, maybe I'll think of something if you say yours. Um, I mean, the whole thing that I'm... Uh, I have to say about this is that I didn't, I don't have any particularly, uh, like I've got, I've got some things that would be cool, but I feel like now more than even in high school or earlier in my college career, I'm kind of just following the path that you follow when you're a 20 year old. What is that path? You graduate and then you go get your first job and it's not an excellent job, but it's a job. And then now you have time to start thinking about yourself again. But like, that sounds lame. A little bit. Mostly the job that isn't great, but it's a job. Graduating sounds great. So I was hoping you could give me some advice on how to find my two-year goals. Um, okay, so like, I guess if I was like, if I didn't know you, Zach. Right. I would ask like, philosophically, mm-hmm. what is your purpose? Okay. And from there, you can think about, like, what would direct you towards that purpose. But I know, I know a lot of people have, like, a distinct, like, purpose that they feel that they should be working mm-hmm. towards. Uh, I am not one of those people. I mostly just am wandering through life trying to be in a way that is not making, getting in the way of anyone else's purpose. Mm-hmm. And like your philosophy 101 student starts quoting existentialists at this point, talking about uh, Sisyphus that pushes the boulder up the hill. 
Yep. Yeah, that's Sisyphus. Okay. And in the moments where he watches it roll back down, finding some clarity, finding some purpose. Huh. I didn't know there were those aspects. I didn't know that was an aspect to the Sisyphus (laughs) narrative. I think it was kind of like a... Sisyphus has a, like, objectively meaningless life, pushing up a boulder, pushing a boulder up a hill, and then watching it roll back down again. Right. But is not unhappy doing that, because he can find meaning in the, uh, I think somebody called it moments of, um, what's the dream thing? Lucidity. In the Hmm. moments of lucidity, Sisyphus finds purpose and happiness. Uh, and what that translates to for us is uh, not much of anything. <laughs> we can like make the metaphors we want, making ourselves Sisyphus, making our life similar to pushing a rock up a hill. You know, we're just moseying on through, uh, participating in a, in a society, right? And perhaps occasionally thinking about ourselves in such abstract terms. Uh, specifically while reading Fall or Dodge and Hell, thinking about ourselves in terms of a connectotome of synapses and finding clarity and lucidity in that. Making our own purpose is what the existentialists say to do. Okay, right. On on that note, if I may... Um, I can keep... uh, (laughs) Trust me, I can keep uh, uh, going on existentialists existentialism for uh, quite a long time yeah no that was a, a whole wall of words and i got a couple of them and was mostly just looking for a foothold um uh <laughs> if i may introduce you to a, a thought that has been rattling around in my head and in my to-do list um for a long time i've just had this thing sitting there and it pops up once in a while and i never actually do it but it's i think the wording is build a better world by knowing what a better by oh god okay we're gonna we're gonna actually look at it because i was very proud of the way that i worded it <laughs> and and apparently that was a well one-time thing build a better world by knowing what my picture of a better world looks like okay. which, which is okay yeah so what go ahead i didn't mean to inter- cut you off yeah. there which is the thing that pops up when you say what is your your purpose is thinking in those terms what does it look like to even have a better world like in the future in what i think is a cool future um we should have mailbox sized robots that can go to the store and buy onions for us and come back home while we're while we're cooking okay cuz drones are a lot of energy to stay in the air but if you could have a mailbox sized robot with a little that was like mostly basket right it could could move along with you um, or it could go out and do its own independent tasks and get things, um, or go to, to the, the big, um, the big company in the sky and go to one of their lockers and get those. So the shipping company only had to drop off in one spot, but then your little personal robot could go and do the, the last leg of the journey. I think that's a cool thing that, that looks like a picture of a better world. Also people having access to healthcare. That's a that's a picture of a better world. I think that's a real important thing. Um, and clean drinking water, and like 
both of those feel equally like the cool future in my head, but one of them feels infinitely more like the thing that I should be actually thinking about, you know? I mean, yeah, you can derive much more purpose from grocery robots, I think. I'm being facetious. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Zach. So, but if you ask yourself, not the, okay, I'm not going to start suggesting that people need a personal philosophy uh, uh, to live a life that is good. Okay, I'm glad. But if you analyze this thought of, uh, what was the exact wording again? Um, uh, ma- knowing a better- build a, build a better world by knowing what the picture of a better world looks like. Right. If you break that down and think, why, why build the better world? It feels like the right thing to do. Great. I'm going to do the three-year-old thing. Why? <sighs> there's, a, there's a post. It's a Tumblr post, but I don't go on Tumblr enough to know that from Tumblr. I think I know it from Instagram. And it boils down effectively to, you have so many options in like an open-world video game, but I do all of the side quests because it feels bad to be mean. Which is orthogonal to an answer to your question. Right. So it feels good to be, to do the right thing. Right. It feels good to do the thing that you think is the right thing. Right. It feels bad to do the thing that you think is the wrong thing. Correct. Now, at the risk of sounding, and this is not the discussion I want to have, just to be clear. This is a point I'm making. Why does this sack of stardust, who thinks it's alive, want to feel good. I feel like the other two options are feeling nothing and feeling bad, and neither of those are like a pleasant state for the sack of stardust to be in. Right. Perfect. So from that, you derive the purpose of making yourself happy. Okay. Now, there are a lot of ways to make yourself happy. You can, uh, you know, eat a bunch of chocolate or whatever. And you can do that for a fairly long time, actually, before you start feeling bad again. Right. But in the context of a two-year goal, eating more chocolate is not a good one. Okay, wait, on what grounds? (laughs) On the grounds that it is a temporary solution for finding this purpose that we crave and that that makes us happy. Okay. So, in theory... Your two-year goal should be the same as your goal at any time, or for any time period. Healthcare and grocery robots. Yeah, exactly. Now, but, but what you mean is, what's something that I can derive for? I think what you mean by what are your two-year goals is, what are some things that make you feel purpose, purposeful and happy that can be accomplished in the course of approximately two years? Correct. Okay, so now that we've correctly established the question. <laughs> okay. I, I, I didn't know that there was that much uncertainty about what the question was. No, I'm just, I'm just uh, that was, I think that was pretty clear, but saying it that way, I think, puts it in a different, uh, not quite context, but um, perhaps makes you think about it a little bit differently. Because you can do things that make you happy over the course of two years, but they will not be like what you're trying to ask with to your goals must they feel purposeful right so is a grocery robot a thing you can accomplish in two years no 
Probably yeah. not. I don't I don't know the first thing about robotics, so my guess is going to be no. <laughs> okay, great. So we're going to cross that one off the list. What else is on your to-do list that can be accomplished in two years? And does it, And then, like... <sighs> so, like, what about graduating? That, that's part of your two-year goal that you said, sort of. Right, yeah. It's a thing that I plan to have done in the next two years. Right. That you will derive purpose and happiness from. I guess. Maybe? You, you don't know? Uh, yeah. I'll feel like I have the thing done. Um, so, going back to what I was saying before about your okay. two-year goals being your all-the-time goals. Right. If graduating, if graduating itself isn't necessarily going... If you suspect it may not give you that purpose and happiness that you are looking for... Right. Well, this, isn't, this isn't me making a point. I'm genuinely asking, why are you trying to graduate right now? Most of the scholarships I have are going to keep happening for the next year and would not if I decided to take a gap year. Right, but that wouldn't matter if you didn't eventually want to graduate college. I feel like it puts up um, a pretty significant wall in front of a lot of different options not graduating. Right, but could you be happy and not have, and not have graduated college? I cannot know the answer to that question. Is there, okay, uh, let me put it a different way. Is there a universe in which you do not go, you do not finish college and are happy? Potentially. <laughs> okay, so there's a possibility. Right. You acknowledge that as a possibility. Right. Therefore, college itself, graduating college itself is not the only thing motivating you to graduate. Like, the act of graduating college is not the only motivating factor for graduating college. Correct. Wait, okay, just to put that in different words. Okay. Graduating college itself is not intrinsically, like, the value of graduating college is not just the intrinsic, yes, I have graduated college. Right. But the other things that attach on to that. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at. And what I'm, what I'm getting at more so, I'm, I'm trying to ask where where the purpose comes in, where the happiness comes in, you are doing it for a reason. And that reason right. is not only the satisfaction of graduating college. Right. You and I are asking the same question at this point. Yeah, but I'm asking you. But I asked it in the first place because I didn't have an answer. <laughs> okay, well, uh, fine, fine. <laughs> you are not in college for no reason, Zach. Right. That, that's a correct statement, yeah. And you just don't know, do you not know the reason? I like, like I was saying, it's the thing to do. You go to college and then you graduate college and then you start thinking about other things. And at this point, I don't have any better ideas. <laughs> okay. And I'm good at this thing. I'm good at the college thing. I can do that. Hell, I could do it for another four years. Get a, get a master's. Um, is that four years? Is that two years? I don't know. I think it's typically two years after you get your undergrad. Oh, okay, yeah. Hell, I could do it for another two years. Get a master's. Um, I think it depends on the master's program, but yeah, continue. But like, just because I'm good at it doesn't mean I know that it's a good thing to be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. Would making a grocery robot give your life purpose, Zach? Probably not. <laughs> okay. 
if if I knew the thing that would, I would be doing it. Uh, back to philosophy 101 student mode. Okay. There is no, according to the existentialist beliefs that I hold very dear, mm-hmm. there are no, there is no meaning, there's no purpose inherent to our lives. Right. You have to create it. You have to decide what is meaningful, what is purpose. And in the next two years, you can decide, I suppose, that grocery robots are your purpose. This is how you're going to make yourself feel good because you've improved not only your life, not only your life, but the lives of others by giving them this cool, cool grocery robot. Mm -hmm. And if that sounds ridiculous to you, that's probably not your purpose. The purpose (laughs) that that you can derive. But in theory, it could be, just like Sisyphus can find meaning in pushing a boulder up a hill and watching it roll back down again. The podcast is my therapist. Another thought I've been having is that I'm very accustomed to, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was something about other people don't determine that purpose, and very much I am, uh, I was a theater kid, and, and a, uh, uh, these thoughts are not together enough for me to say out loud on a podcast. But very much, I do, I do think about purpose in terms of external factors, not just from inside myself. But do you acknowledge that these external things have internal effects that, in which your actual purpose is derived? Yes. Okay. That's fair. In other words... Making people feel good might be the meaningful thing that you do, but it's in an effort to make yourself feel good. That doesn't make it less selfless. That doesn't make it less good if you believe in that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What it does is allow you to decide what thing you're going to be doing. Because it doesn't have to be the thing that will help the most people. The grocery robot, not going to help the most people. But if it helps, enough people to make yourself feel good and it makes you feel good to work on it and to uh, metaphorically give it to people mm-hmm. that is gift it to the world yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> that is enough meaning for you to be happy and therefore enough meaning for you to not feel bad doing it when you could be working on universal health care or whatever okay I don't buy it 100%, but I don't have any, I don't have any more articulate ways of saying that, so. <laughs> All right. Um, also, I don't know any philosophy, so I probably got a <laughs> lot wrong there. <laughs> As everyone knows, Euclid had to push a boulder up a hill, <laughs> and that's how he figured out triangles. So when the Greeks thought about meaning, they thought about it in part in terms of Sisyphus, in terms of this guy that they fictionalized to have to push a a boulder up a hill forever. And they use that to figure out their meaning and figure out where they were headed. Uh, and, And throughout history, that's been a tool that humans have used, is that we want to know... We want to know where we're headed collectively as a people and individually as a singular person. Um, and one way to think about that is our stories about the future, 
that we tell individually and as a group. And whether that's a story of, uh, in the form of like a two-year goal or a story in the form of like H.G. Wells, um, which is something that I've been thinking about for a long time as as you and uh, all of the devoted Jareds probably know, I've been to space camp. Um, mm, good old space camp. And, and one of the things that they mention a lot at space camp is that the... The people who worked on the Apollo missions were reading fiction as kids that said, man will be on the moon. And so um, the, the capsules looked the way that they did in part because someone 40 years before we had a space program imagined that there would be space capsules and they would look this way. And the people who made space capsules had read those and started thinking about space capsules that way because of that fiction. Right. It sounds very similar to what you were saying about building the world that you want to be built or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Knowing, knowing what the put... picture of a better future looks like. Right. And if you don't know that, you have to get, it, get that idea from somewhere. Right. So I've been thinking a lot about this and wondering where our future fictions came from and where they're coming from. Uh, you and me personally? Yeah, and like our generation of people. Growing up as a white boy with no uh, particular athletic ability, uh, I'm sure you experienced this as well. If you got decent grades, you were like hailed as this uh, genius all throughout middle school. Okay. And a lot of my, unfortunately, I'm going to say that this is a bad thing. Uh-huh. A lot of my expectations for myself come from a picture of me when I was in fifth grade or so. And the top of your 30-person class. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so something I always really hated about, like, career day stuff, guidance counselor stuff, was when they sent you to the Wisconsin, like, job network thing. Okay, I'm following. There were never jobs that uh, I particularly wanted to do. I know somebody who one year they took like the quiz to see what job they should get. And usually you get like a particular job and then you get a field of other jobs that you might also be interested. Right. Um, this person got wooden derby car maker. <laughs> no field. No other jobs you might be interested in. Yeah. I usually get stuff like accountant uh-huh. because I tell them that I don't mind doing math sometimes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, just do, count money, count money. Please, somebody count money. I don't want to do that, though. I don't want to be an accountant. Nothing against accountants, but it's just not my thing. Yeah. What about an actuary? That's much worse. <laughs> so I invented this little world for myself in which... The job I want is not even on this website. This mm -hmm. website can't even fathom the job I want. I want to blow things up in a research lab or um, travel the world uh, giving lectures on mathematics. Not a professor, not mind you. No, I want to uh, be a presenter of math. Like a math motivational speaker? Exactly, exactly. And I wanted to. Uh, I think I it would know. be algebraational speaker. Okay, so you and don't then want to be... And then they're like, 
okay, okay, Sirtis, you can, you can, you know, you can have these little fantasies of a world in which you are, uh, you have the special snowflake job mm-hmm. because, like, no one was going to tell Sirtis, the, the, the top of, the top of the 30 person class that, oh no, you should, uh, lower your expectations. You should. <laughs> Please. Please. Uh, you should, you know, just consider plumbing. Please. We need plumbers. We need more plumbers. Please. Yeah, no, we do need more plumbers. And you should, like, be a plumber if that's something you're good at and that you think you could enjoy doing. That's not something I think I can enjoy doing, mostly because drains are gross. Yeah. So, yeah, literally no one ever was like, uh, reduce your expectations. Um... And I could just keep raising them. Great. Right. With no checks whatsoever. And mm-hmm. eventually, the real world, ca- real world caught up uh, is, and is continuing to catch up. And then something weird happened. In high school, my expectations for what I wanted to do just dropped. Just like, you know what? I can probably just do mediocre programming work for the rest of my life until I retire. Right. I, I could probably do that. Yeah. And only recently have they picked up since then, have I had more aspirations. And I'm framing this all in, like, careers, mm-hmm. which I think we do as a society a lot. Uh, who, your career determines your personality type, uh, who you are. It's part of your identity for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. I think that's an America thing. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, that is kind of how I think about it. If I'm going to be doing something for eight hours a day, I think I should like identify with it a little bit, at least. Right. Something that not everyone does, like sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a sleeper. Yeah. I sleep real oh, good. Oh, man, you get the new mattress. <laughs> <sighs> that We should phase out career chit-chat and weather chit-chat. Talk Nobody cares sleep. about those. Exclusively talk about your own sleeping patterns. And then get into, like, know, the nitty gritty. You get in, I don't know, you get into, like, ah, I only need to sleep four hours a night. Ah! <gasps> oh, man, I only slept two. Look at me. Ah! <gasps> <laughs> um, they're mostly just wants and desires more than fictions like it's not a scenario it's just a list of things that i want for myself okay okay i've been talking a lot what's uh what what do you think of when you think of your future fiction um it's it's interesting the angle that you took it because i was very much more thinking like future fiction in terms of what the world will look like in 2050 or whatever oh well i have no idea so i was thinking about myself of course but there's a lot of uh, there's certainly a lot of stories about what the world will be like in 2050. Um, just like there were New Yorker cartoons about how everyone's going to have a personal Zeppelin in 2000. Right. Mine, I really need to take it to the Zeppelin wash. It's, uh, <laughs> it's dirty. Do you think birds would roost in personal Zeppelins while they were moving? I think some might, but I think the migration patterns would be all thrown off by something like that. Yeah. So, so like, I know, I know that because there's been all, all sorts of Facebook articles about, wow, weren't, weren't they so stupid in 1950 thinking that we were all going to have personal Zeppelins? Um, 
But like, what do we think now will happen in 2050? I have some theories. I have some very specific theories. Or even like, not, not quite as, as aspirational, but just what, what they imagined 2018 to look like in Back to the Future. Right. So I have a theory that okay. in our information age, something's going to shift very soon. And in the next 20 years or so, we're going to get a lot more of two things. The first is that we're going to get a lot more information that has no bearing on reality because it's easy to create and it's hard to verify. Okay. And what that's going to force us into is a future in which we have very limited sources of information. And those sources constantly needing to be certified by some means or another, hopefully cryptography. Perdas. Exactly. Some very much like that. Um, but instead of hopefully the landscape that they're looking at in this book, we just get like, instead of widespread misinformation, we get information that is signed and verified with effort. Okay. And the what it'll look like to an outsider is like to you and me if we jumped 20 years into the future and we just mm-hmm. looked around the thing we would notice the most is a label on all the information saying where it came from. Okay. And if something doesn't have a label like that in some form or fashion we just dismiss it. Everyone just dismisses it out of hand because it's just like what they used to tell us about Wikipedia. Like, anyone can just write anything. Right, yeah. Which is still true, but is also not super true, because if you ever try to make an edit to a Wikipedia page, it's, like, actually really difficult to mm-hmm. get your changes passed through the, their system. So that while there's no information that is guaranteed to be correct on Wikipedia, there's also, there's, like, a pretty good likelihood that, there, that it is re- like totally relevant right which is basically the same as books okay yeah so i guess where i'm going with this is that like i envision a world in which there are checks constantly on information Mm -hmm. because quickly information is becoming valuable and just like anything else that's valuable there's going to be counterfeit right okay and we're going to have to invent a way to make counterfeiting information harder. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. All right, what were you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking I did a very bad job of expressing my actual question. <laughs> Two in a row, all right. Um, I, I misunderstood you <laughs> twice in a row for the same question. <laughs> Love that, all right. What fiction? What specific book? Else? A book or a a movie or a a two page fan fiction by Andy Weir. I don't care. Okay, well, I, I suppose I've read a, enough like articles about the danger of fake news, in which they paint a picture. Mm-hmm. But I suppose that is where most of my concerns come from. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Okay, there's this terrible TV show that was on Netflix at some point. I'm not sure if it still is. Okay. It was called Continuum. And I watched all of it, and it was bad, but I liked it anyway. 
what's the the synopsis um time travel future sends a bunch of criminals back in time accidentally and they try to reshape the present for us past for them so that they are more likely to succeed in the future okay and then some time then a future police officer gets sent back with them on accident and she has to collaborate with a i don't know like 16 year old kid who is good at computers to stop them from doing that Mm -hmm. and that 16 year old kid you guessed it grows up to be a motivational math speaker (laughs) and so in the future that they show it's like it's very much like the i think it was like a saturday night live bit where it's like they're in the future and like AT&T and McDonald's merged to proudly become the one of the four companies in America. Okay, wait, what would there be? There would be Disney Fox. Right, yeah, Disney, for sure. AT and Tyson. <laughs> Tyson. Tyson, who makes, like, all of the chicken in America. The food, yeah, all right. Um, one that's just called coffee, that used to be Starbucks. <laughs> that just bought all, all the coffee. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, but the idea, I think, was like that the government got into a lot of uh, trouble and then they, the corporations bailed them out and now the corporations run the government. Kind of like um, Snow Crash? Yeah, a bit like Snow Crash, except mm-hmm. there's not like a separate government. Okay. It doesn't like particularly matter. I'm just like, I envision something like that. Uh, that's not like a super pleasant future. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also so I don't really think it's going to happen because I don't think people tolerate that kind of thing. I think people. I think history shows us that people are un- generally unwilling to tolerate tyrants. Yeah. Okay. Like there's a tipping point for everyone, right. every society. So like I'm not like worried, but like I probably think about the danger of a late stage capitalist so- society a bit too much. But dang, if that information isn't secure, um, go ahead, Zach. Um, yeah, no, I think it's interesting just because like space, especially when we were writing fiction that felt like it could have, I don't know. I feel like the country doesn't really care about space as much anymore. On average, I think that's correct. And so like science fiction set in space feels less real than like in the middle of yeah the apollo missions i think that's very accurate i don't think we're going i honestly don't think we're going back to space anytime soon um not in any meaningful way we're not going to colonize anything that's like too bad in a way because it like is super limiting as far as like what we can dream up Mm -hmm. because we can like if if we're exploring space we can think about like interacting with uh aliens and stuff uh you know mining asteroids uh otherwise doing cool space things right you know harnessing the energy from a star to like power our civilization Mm -hmm. yeah but as cool as a dyson sphere would be i think the first step would be to now leave the solar system (laughs) and the way things are looking right now we just don't have the like attention span as uh, as a society to continue for these aspirations that long like i think one of the reasons that the apollo mission was so successful was because it got done in 10 years ish right yeah 
Also, there were external motivations. As much as internally we might have been like, wow, space is cool, it sure helped to have other forces on the outside. You mean the Cold War? Right, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, was Co- Thanks Cold War. <laughs> have I talked on here about how I think... Um, I don't, I don't have that many opinions about the monarchy, but the one thing that I do know is that having, like, the Queen's 16th Jubilee or whatever um, provides the UK a reason to push for things to get them done, like, to, to finish the Jubilee line or whatever, where America has that maybe once every hundred years uh, for the millennium and then another time every hundred years for, like, the hundredth anniversary of the country. But even that is not as big a deal as a jubilee from what i can tell so why is that a good thing to have because it's another thing to rally around it's another another motivator to have a a line done by then kind of like how we built stuff in the u.s to coincide with like the world's fair and now the the world's fair happens in other parts of the world because there are other parts of the world and it's just not as big a deal okay so are you saying that, like, uh, let me pose a hypothetical then. Uh, let's say that uh, your globalist society dreams come true. Okay. And not yours specifically, but right. like... The, the globalist society dreams. Right. And uh, countries are just all one thing. Um, we just do away with the borders. There are leaders, but they like, uh, they're mostly like on the same page. As far as, okay. like, who wants what and where do we need to put resources and whatnot. Okay. And everyone is treated more or less equally. So, like, a populist New World Order kind of thing? Yeah, why not? <laughs> it sounds like you're saying that that society would not probably venture into space. No. But I'm saying that you, if that society wanted to make London a better place for people to live in, it could happen gradually, or they could decide, we need a whole new train line right here for the, the queen who's still not in power, but exists just because, why not? Um, for the queen's birthday, we're going to make this big push and revitalize this whole chunk. And I guess maybe there's equity issues with that, that like who decides what chunk? Sure, but there's an aspect of competition required to advance things Mm -hmm. milwaukee competes with st louis milwaukee wants to have more cool things and more cool businesses to work at and more affordable homes so more people come live in milwaukee as opposed to st louis right and i don't think a populist new world order would change that right wait why so i don't think um I mean, now there's even more freedom of movement, so unless there's some mandate that every square mile has the exact same amount of people, business, investment, and property taxes are never going to be a thing, there's still a desire to have more people in a city, and you can't, like, your two options then are to pull in people from a different city or to increase the birth rate in your own city. What is the motivation for more people in a city? more tax to make it better for the people so there are more people so there's more tax you see you see how this works yeah no i i get that i get like the current reason for wanting more people in a city okay 
But in this new world order, in which, I don't know, I don't, uh, this is getting way off the rails real quickly. Absolutely. I don't know, like, I don't think Apollo would have gone, been as successful as it was if there was not a push to beat the Soviets. Right. There's an aspect of competition that was required for the success of that, those missions. Okay, yeah. And that's not something we have anymore for space. We might have it for other things. Um, at mm-hmm. some point, there was a push to be better than China at education. We failed miserably at that. And then everyone forgot about it. Except for the teachers who still have to deal with all of the long tail consequences. Right. Yes, of course. And while that push for education didn't, was not nearly as successful as the Apollo missions, um, you could make the argument that that attention caused by the competition mm-hmm. at least try, there was at least a focus on trying to make it better. Right. And trying to make something better is better than not trying to make something better. Okay. <laughs> and what I'm saying by that is that uh, trying to relate it back to future fictions, the future is probably not space because no one's paying attention to it because there's no competition, any meaningful competition. Like a few people are still interested in space because space is cool. Mm-hmm. I was big into asteroid mining at some point when I was 16 and going to go be a, a motivational Pinewood Derby car maker. Um, I got interested in asteroid mining because I thought that was the future that we can reach a post-scarcity society if we start mining asteroids. Uh, good old post, post-scarcity. I'm telling you, once, once we get there, mm-hmm. I have big plans. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of other thoughts, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to follow down, because I have a bunch of things that I added to this document <laughs> months ago. Um, so I'm, I'm going to come back having read these things. <laughs> Because I remember reading them and being very fired up and being like, wow, I really need to talk to Certus about this. And now I'm like, oh, there was there was something about the moon in there, I think. Oh, my God. This is going to be a very short episode because I'm sure I sound like a nimrod for a good chunk, good 30 percent of this. <laughs> um, so my challenge to you would be to see if you notice any other future fictions, any other things that are saying to the people today what. 40 years from now could look like. I'll keep my eye out. So, it was tap to pay, Zach. Did you tap to Absolutely. Pay? I tapped. Uh, there were a couple places I went, and they had, it said, tap on the screen, and then I tapped, and I tapped again, and then the person went, oh, we don't, uh, we don't tap here. And I said, okay. And then I didn't tap to pay. You can't tap to pay at ATMs, um, and you can't tap to pay at farmer's markets. So I didn't tap to pay at the ATM so that I could not tap to pay at the farmer's market. But besides that, I tapped. I tapped and I tapped and I tapped. I even, a couple times, looked at a register that I have given my card over for and said, hey, can I tap? And they said, oh yeah, I think so. And then I tapped. Nice. Did Uh, you tap? uh, I did. In fact, I was even forced to because the, the credit card I use the chip stopped working the like the magnetic strip was still working but uh-huh. you have to give it to them three times and then it says just swipe it and then you just swipe it which is annoying which is annoying and i can't just say hey just swipe this because they'll say no you got a chip and then chip and then chip and then swipe 
Mm -hmm. because we're very high security here. Right. So I'm not doing that. So I just tap to pay. And it was. Did you get a lot of weird looks? No. I still felt awkward, but it was not like significantly more awkward than like digging around in a large purse or wallet trying to find a quarter or like any other form of currency that isn't just a piece of plastic. Okay. Like I think I would have. Go ahead. I'll probably tap to pay occasionally. I don't. I'm certainly going to do it until I get a replacement credit card. (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. I don't know what the... I'm always afraid it's not going to work. Like, I'm going to have, like, purchased a thing, gotten all... Or or want to purchase a thing, get to the register with the thing, and then make an attempt to pay with the phone and have it not work. And it's not just embarrassment. It's, um... Okay, I can just leave there without paying for the thing and not take the thing. Okay. As long as, like, that thing was not a consumable thing that I already consumed or what, what like, there's, all, there's always, like, a situation, you can imagine a situation in which, like, this thing has already been used or whatever, and mm-hmm. then you're trying to pay for it afterwards, or uh, it doesn't really matter. I don't feel confident enough in this technology yet, even though it's never failed, mm-hmm. that I can go around with just my phone as a form of payment. Right. Which makes it a relatively unpleasant experience. That's fair. What did you think? I don't know. I usually tap anyway. I'm very often when I'm in line to buy something, I am already on my phone. Right. And so I will put it down like to my side while the checkout is happening, but it's easier to just lift my phone back up and put it on the thing than it is to fish out my wallet and start dealing with that. All right. Uh, the next trial is going to be eat better because I, my body probably can't handle cheese and I just have never had the, the wherewithal to see if that actually happens. So for two weeks, I personally am going to try to not eat cheese. Hmm. Sirtis, do you have a thing that has been troubling or potentially troubling to you or do you only eat veggies, prunes and a uh, fiber bar? I think I need to eat more leafy greens. Okay. Like, I'm probably not getting enough iron, if I had to guess. So, I might, like, try to integrate spinach into my diet more. Which might be difficult, because my eating habits are terrible. (laughs) Just, like, get a burger, and then put spinach on it. Yeah. But first... burgers. Yeah, the burgers that I eat. Yep. Um, And, you know, no, my my eating habits are very uh, snackish. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I before recording, I brought this uh, Ziploc bag of trail mix into my office, my bedroom. My bedroom is that room, office. <laughs> and I've just been kind of eating that. I, I stopped eating it before the podcast. You're welcome. And, but like, looking at it, there's raisins and mm-hmm. cashews and peanuts mm-hmm. and almonds and M&Ms. Right. Which is fine for trail mix, and it is probably a pretty good source of protein and uh, carbs from the nuts and whatnot, and a bit of sugar from the chocolate Mm -hmm. and the fruit and salt. Gotta have that salt. No, yeah, it's probably not bad for you. Yeah. But it shouldn't be my only meal today. Correct. And so far, it has been. Please eat 
I'm trying. I'm being bogged down with so many recordings. <laughs> <laughs> could, could you snack on a salad? It's not a snackable thing, right? It's like a... I could take a bag of spinach or, and eat it, but the prep work is the part I avoid. How much prep work is that? Uh, it's more than walking into the pantry, grabbing a bag of trail mix, and bringing it in here. All right. Personally, usually my lowest prep work is salad or boiling the pasta. <sighs> Maybe talk to me next year when I have a real kitchen. Don't you have a real kitchen? <laughs> Don't get me started. I've seen your stove. I've seen your stove. Don't get me started. You probably have a microwave, too, and a fridge. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, Jared, if you have a lot of requirements for your kitchen, uh, you can let us know about them on uh, on our email, which is exclusively for getting new trials. Um, so what I really mean to say is if you have any new trials that you want us to try, because our, our list of trials is starting to dwindle, um, you starting can email to. us. Starting to, starting to dwindle. We've been doing great so far, but now it's starting to dwindle. Uh, you can email us at trials at superawesomecorp.com now we're going to move on to the book club which is fall or dodge in hell uh, the sequel to ream d by neil stevenson so if you're reading along with us tune in otherwise it's been it's been great knowing you see you on the flip side so jared um if you've been following along with us that would mean you're up to the beginning of part four in Fall or Dodge in Hell by Neil Stevenson. Um, my first take on this is just that Neil Stevenson is really good at writing the country and thinking about it like a character. Between this mm. and Snow Crash, I feel like he very much takes the country as, a, as an entity and like the way that characters would have a fatal flaw or things like that that you learned about in eighth grade English class, the, the country in the same way does, like when he writes Ameristan or whatever. Okay, yeah. Comes from that, that same idea of there being that, it's like a fatal flaw of, of the space and of like the ideology that underlies the country. Hmm, okay. Which I just think is very interesting in a very good way. We were talking about future fictions and a, a good way to think about that, not just in terms of the way that individual people might do things or like a particular movement might progress forward but the way that a whole country could go up or down right yes the thing i noticed most in this section has been like has been that when writing from richard's point of view there's a lot more a lot less things happening and a lot more of that of the same amount of like pages i guess is thinking a lot of the parts where Richard was alive was just him like going about his day and thinking about the things that he thinks about mm -hmm. when uh, more in parts three and four have been like things happening and there's been some thinking involved. There's been like um, the characters thinking certain things to themselves and him writing about it the same way he did for Richard, mm -hmm. but like they're mostly limited to I, f I feel like the the way that like the crucifixion scene mm -hmm. played out 
would have been very different if it was Richard, because Richard would have gone off on a little internal tangent for uh, yeah, right. for a page about Christianity and his relationship with it. Yeah, just like so. In, in that way, I feel like I feel that I relate a lot less to the characters, mm-hmm. um, and not just relate. Uh, maybe that's a bad word, but um, I empathize with them less because I don't know as much about their internal processes. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's intentional or not. Yeah. I also got the feeling um, there's like been three times so far in this section that Stevenson used the word microaggression. Yes. And every time it felt like you were just kind of walking along with this story and then he slapped you and you were like, that's not where did that. I think that made sense for her, though. I guess maybe. I don't like know. it slaps you the same way, like those little microaggressions, uh, slap her. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. I I wasn't. I personally didn't feel like Stevenson was writing that with, because it's a place he's ever been. Are you suggesting that he is virtue signaling? <laughs> Everyone's favorite phrase. I don't know if he's virtue signaling or just trying to write a character that he can't get 100% in the shoes of because she exists 20 years in the future. That one makes more sense to me. It, it wasn't that I felt like it, it was Neil Stevenson trying to be a white knight. It was just... Uh, the sense... I don't know why. I noticed this in the first section, but didn't say anything because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was going to continue, but it definitely did continue. I felt this weird urge all while reading this to build something and i can't uh, i don't i don't get that for other books it's not like it's uh i'm getting bored and start thinking about robots but like especially when they were talking about um perda yeah when they're talking about perda i got this like ooh, this section in particular makes me want to make something right yeah i don't know exactly why but uh, all throughout i'm getting these little like there's no specific idea. There's just a desire to make something just kind of yeah. flashes on. And that's kind of what I was trying to say with the future fictions is that they give us a shared direction to all point in, in the same way that, that everybody read the, the same HG Wells going to space story. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think he wrote time machine, not the space story that I'm thinking of, but it, I couldn't be bothered. Um, <laughs> and so in the same way, all the people who, who read fall or dodge in hell and think like, wow, Perda's what a cool idea. Um, can, can make a Usenet group or I don't know how. <laughs> uh, torrents to message. Yeah. yeah. So many slam bros in the story, Zach. Oh God, there's so many. There's so many slam that was, bros. That was literally Jake's whole character. Yeah, I know. The last book. And in this one, he's less so. <laughs> yeah, but like um, Tom, I think uh-huh. I, I wrote down Tom as like just the quintessential slam bro. Tactical. Everything is tactical. Tactical. Before we get to, like, delve super into the Tom stuff, I have two notes about Corvallis. Okay. um, Which are that I don't agree, like, I don't know. I felt like the guy took a lot of jumps that weren't sensible the way that I saw them. Like Like when he first started to suspect that Moab, I didn't feel like there was, that Moab hadn't actually been bombed. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like there was actually a, a reason that was super given. And so then he had a hunch and then he was like, Hey, can you figure this thing out to the system administrator? And I was like that. I'd feel like you're asking. I 
as I was reading that, I had just been introduced to the notion of the XY problem, um, which is basically like, I want to do this thing. I want to go to the moon. And then you go to somebody and you say, can you build me a rocket? Right. And maybe that person would have just as well been able to build you a teleporter and get you to the moon in half the time. Right. So if you go to people with the, the like three down the, the line thing, sometimes they can't give you the answer you actually need. And I was thinking at that point that that's what was going to happen to Corvallis, was that he was going to say, hey, can you find if this exact thing happened in Moab? And the guy would come back and say no. And then it would be something else, but not exactly that one thing he had a hunch about. Okay. I'm... And, okay, keep, keep going. And he turned out to be right, so I guess it's, it moved the plot forward. But I just don't think it's a great thing. It's a great model of leadership to follow. <laughs> What would you have him do instead? I don't remember exactly what happened, but more say, like, can you look and see? Or even say, I think there wasn't actually an explosion at Moab. Can you look at this for me? Because then if the the server guy had looked and said, oh, actually, well, people are trying to reach us from Moab, but it's all empty packets or something. It would have been a different piece of information, but it still would have been right, so relevant. So share, sharing the intentionality behind a request. Right, yeah. Okay, I see that. Also, his relationship with Maeve went 0 to 100 very fast. I mean, yeah. And like very fast, but then... I don't know. I'm just being too gripey. (laughs) I'll be quiet. (laughs) I was worried that he went like, oh, my girlfriend, Maeve, and that that was not going to be how she was thinking about it, but it was also how she was thinking about it, so... Yeah, sometimes things actually work out and not, don't have to be super dramatic. Yeah, but just, like, communicate that. I mean, yeah, but it was, like, 12 hours, so, like... Yeah. It was, like, like you said, 0 to 100, so, like... I don't know, I don't have any particular issue with diving in. hmm Then getting on to part three. I, I just really thought the idea of a Maristan was very interesting. Um partially because I've, I've done a lot of thinking in the last year about the difference between rural and urban America and that, like... Culturally or structurally? Um, structurally, I suppose, more. Just, like, what the needs are. That, like... Ah, okay. In rural America, you don't really need a bus because a bus wouldn't work the way that it does in a city. Right. But, like, it'd be a lot easier to just worry about people who need buses. I suppose. What do you think of the editors? I thought it made sense. I thought it was a reasonable reasonable way to handle the problem they were faced with. Yeah. It's also really scary, though. It's very scary. And it's... It makes more clear the fact that, like, right now, I could ignore ads if I have YouTube Red or whatever. Um... And so then mm-hmm. there are just particular ideas that I'm, I'm blocking from getting into my head um, by paying for that, that ability to not have stuff in my feed. Right, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a, a natural analog in this future world to have the same kind of thing. It just feels different for things that are not on the internet. It's just like, so, so why, I suppose, do we have the aversion to an editor versus YouTube Red. I I think I feel the same way about them, which is to say, like, it's not, 
perfect, but it's the best solution I can think of. What if YouTube Red offered, like, in addition to no ads, you'll never see a recommendation for a flat earth video, which they already do by algorithm, but like, what if it was a thing that they offered? How'd you feel about that? I think good. The silence has been me trying to poke holes in that, and I, there's not a particular one that I can. Okay. Is there a topic that should be off-limits for that kind of thing? If I'm never going to click on a flat Earth video, what's the difference between me not clicking on it and me not seeing that it exists in the first place? You can be exposed to new ideas without having to adopt them, which is a different thing, adopting an idea and seeing a video. Right. But not even being aware that someone might have a differing opinion about the shape of the Earth would be harm, not harmful necessarily, but I think to my, to my personal values, that is less good than knowing about them and disagreeing with them. I think if YouTube came with a preloaded list of blocked words, like flat Earth or whatever, that would be a different thing than the possibility for me to say never show me anything that says flat earth because that means i know enough about flat earth theory yeah right existing that i can say please don't show it to me yeah now so so what do you how do you feel about the preloaded list of it's youtube's prerogative as a private institution continue other than that it's it's a bad idea to have a big thing dictating what is fact. A singular entity dictating that. Okay. So in the case of the editor... Right. ...who can filter out ideas that you don't want to see, and in theory can make some predictions about things that you might not even be aware of mm-hmm. that you won't want to see. So I know... I'm Zach's editor. I know he doesn't want to see flat earth videos. He doesn't want to see um, racist things. Uh, I don't know. And I can infer from that information that Zach does not want to see anti-Semitic things. But if this is the future and Zach's growing up in a world in which he does not even know that people can be anti-Semitic because his editor never let let him see not let him see but like allowed anti-semitism to pass through right yeah and you like you could ask you could say hey what are you what are you blocking but you never did because like you wouldn't even know about that idea that's i guess where i draw the line Mm -hmm. where it's not so much like i think it's while it may be harmful to be experiencing these types of things these harmful ideas, uh, these flat earth videos, which are just incorrect. Mm -hmm. It is important to know that somebody thinks this way. Can you say why? Well, I mean, the easy answer is to go, well, YouTube shouldn't be the decider of what is true. But the more complicated answer is something along the lines of kind of knowing your enemy some something silly like that like there is somebody who let's imagine there is a binary there is the earth is round 
and the Earth is flat. Those are the only two options. The Earth is a cylinder. Well, I mean, somebody thinks that. Doesn't matter, though. Let's imagine that those are the only two sides. Okay. And you're coming up in a world in which no one said to you, hey, the Earth is round. And so someone deciding what to believe, they should, they would not, and there's no, like, authority, like, there's no YouTube to say, well, this is the true thing, mm-hmm. because we don't like that, we don't like... Okay. So, you have to make a judgment of the evidence. Now, if everyone who thinks that the world is round never even knows about people who think the world is flat, they don't, there's no need for evidence for that fact. Okay. And someone who doesn't know that the world is round may look at sketchy evidence from flat earthers compared to no evidence from round earthers and pick the sketchy evidence because it's better than nothing. So in this world, the, the round earthers, none of them know that there are flat earthers? Probably not none of them, but like, sure, let's, let's imagine that. Wouldn't all of them have had to make the same decision? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it just got programmed in. Doesn't matter. This is not a realistic hypothetical. Yeah. I You're getting into the details. The the point is that without or maybe they're just like us and got told by a, an authority that this is the true thing, you should just set your filters to this. Okay. Because you know what? You're five, you don't know anything. And if mm-hmm. you're a k- kindergarten teacher... You don't know calculus. How yeah, are you going to prove the Earth is round? If your kindergarten teacher says the Earth is a sphere, then you're just going to believe them. Right. And then the teacher's like, now everyone can make the choice on whether to filter out uh, flat earthers or not, but you should really filter out all the flat earthers. And then no one ever questions that, because why would you? This is Everyone knows this to be the case. And then one kid gets a little bit curious about... Or, you know, gets a little uh, anti-authoritarian. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I understand the impulse. And says, well, let's look at the evidence. But no one bothers to create evidence for round Earth because, obviously, that's the case. And when I say obviously, I mean, I do actually do mean it facetiously that, this time because without evidence to point towards that reality, right. it's not obvious. Everything looks flat. This is another thing I was thinking about with Ameristan. Because they talked about the people from Ameristan who, like, grew up and were gay and decided to move to the, the blue states. Right. And they never really touched on if that went the other way. If somebody grew up and went to Princeton and got an anti-authoritarian streak and questioned if the earth was round and went out to Ameristan. I'd be interested. What do you think? I think presumably there are going to be people who know that there's different sides to that argument that like jake forthrast said wow i used to be a a christian wackajoo nutjob and there are people like that who are making the world worse and so i would like to now that i know facts reach out to the christian wackadoo nutjobs there there would be the child or the nephew or the cousin who's gay and who is in in the blue state and says all of my friends thought that the world was flat. I don't think everyone on Earth, every single Wikipedia contributor, would forget that the other side existed and forget that there's evidence for the Earth being round. Okay, maybe that's a bad example then. That's not really the point, though. 
being able to filter out ideas entirely is not really a situation I want to find myself in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the situation they find themselves in. No, it in- is, though. The Ameristan people can totally just, like, completely ignore anything that they want to. Well, until they get melanoma and they need to go into the city. Or they die of melanoma, and then they aren't thinking anything. <laughs> is that a better world, though? Where people die of melanoma because they don't believe in doctors or whatever? That's not a world I want to live in. You wouldn't have to. You're in the liberal bastion. <laughs> okay, but it could happen on, uh, on, on a liberal side as well. I don't know exactly. Like, because I believe the things I believe, I don't believe that they are wrong. And therefore, don't think that... And because we filter out these things, I mean, we're kind of doing this now. We're not even willing to listen to other people most of the time. Right. Do you think, in Reemdi, some of the story, like, two chapters, were from the point of view of the terrorist? Yes, I remember that. Do you think we're ever going to be put into the heads of the people with the hallucinatory memes? That'd be pretty cool. To tell them to go shoot their guns at bridges. Because uh, I think an important part to this world feeling real would be having some aspect of sympathy or at least understanding of who those people are. And not just... I don't know. Is that what we have now? I think a lot of people have no concept of what it's like to be on the other side of the political spectrum. Yeah. How could you possibly think that is a phrase I hear often enough for it to stick out in my head. I'm not really making a point, I don't think. Maybe I am. I think still that being able to filter out everything about an idea is a bad thing. Right. I guess what I'm saying, or trying to say, is that there were still bumper stickers that said Remember Moab that weren't filtered out. For now. Until you tell your editor, hey, I don't want to see that stuff. And just always live in your goggles? Sure. (laughs) You you see something that upsets you? Goggle time. Or in the future, even the future of their future, where it's not glasses anymore, it's a chip implant. We talked about this a while back. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's I don't know about the chip implant, but you can choose to block everyone on Twitter and never leave your home. And you can choose right. to always live in your goggles, and I don't think those are particularly different. It is because if you block everyone on Twitter, you can't influence them. Okay. The kid who can't figure out if the Earth is round or flat won't be influenced by someone who never goes on the internet and never leaves their house. The goggles allow you to go out into the world, talk to people, influence them. And never have your ideas even have a, um, a, what am I trying to say? A a chance to be changed. I guess, yeah. (laughs) 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 All right. Did you catch on page 262? um, They talk about the days before the fall, capital F. No. Wait, 262? Yeah. We weren't supposed to read that far. 253 was our cutoff. I'm pretty sure. 293. What? 
It was the beginning of part four. Yeah. Part four. What page? Well, the one right before it is 252. Huh. Mine's 314. Oh, okay, cool. So our page numbers are just really off. Facts are facts. Anyway, it says before the fall, which I think is before the fall. And fall is referring to when Pluto released his apes. Hmm. Because it's in those days before the fall. Right, it, yeah. It was the case that women in the games industry were subject to a lot of overt harassment. Right, yeah. The fall of trustworthy things. But also, capital F, fall, like the title. Yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> Real credits. Wow. Um, I have one other thought, which is that I spent a very long time looking up uh, Zelbrich Alberg, uh, the Flemish nanostate that they talk about for a while in there. Okay. Um, Alberg is a real place, and they have a very cool flag that you should look up right now. And Zelrik just means very rich. So I think it's just supposed to be the very rich part of Alberg. A-A-L-B-E-R-G. Why am I saying boats? Um, did I say it right? A-A-L-B-E-R-G. Alberg. I searched Alberg flag and got sailboats. If you look up Alberg, Netherlands. Also with a U instead of an E. Okay. The circle? The wheel? Yeah. That's a cool flag. Yeah, it's a good flag. Yeah. That's the whole thought. I wanted to end on a positive note, which is, I dig the flag. All right. Uh, so, Zach, our predictions about what's going to happen to Dodge um, have... Uh, nothing. Nothing has happened except for brain scanning. Yeah. Do your predictions about what's going to, like, what's going to be the dodge and hell part? Does that still stand? I'm gonna stand. Okay. Stand by him. All right. I think I feel similarly. What were yours again? I had just adopted yours because they were better. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was not expecting Elmo Shepard to stay relevant. Really? Yeah. Just I don't know. I got a vibe that he was a very part one, part two kind of character, but... <laughs> guess not. Guess not. All right. Um, where are we reading to next? Uh, let's go up to the beginning of part six, then. It's page 475 for me, but apparently um, that's not the kind of thing we can agree on. Uh, 396. Or 397? Hold on. How are they counting that? Essentially 400. Okay. So it's like 150 pages. And finally, your fortnightly PSA from the Worrying Bugs. Come on, be a scab. Jeff Bezos says all the cool kids are doing it. This has been a PSA from the Worrying Bugs. (laughs) 